Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gold Creek, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Do you remember when you were a kid and, you know, I'm not sure that's the same way in our culture today as it was back when I was a kid a long time ago. But um, when I got a dollar for Christmas or my birthday or something, it was a big deal, right? I mean, talk, talk about inflation. If you lose a tooth back then, you got like a quarter or a nickel. I'm hearing of kids getting 10 or 20 bucks per tooth. I would have been toothless, by the way. I would have taken that opportunity. I'd be in the room going like this. I got another tooth, 20 bucks, cha-ching. But when I would get a dollar and I'd get $5, I would usually go to the store. When, we, when I was about this particular age, we lived in a city down in Miami that I would go to the Circle K on the corner and I would walk in and the possibilities were endless. And there were all kinds of things that I liked and all kinds of things that I I wanted, but I realized that I only had a dollar, or I only had three dollars, and so I had to go through and make my choices very carefully. Did anybody else go through this as a kid? Because, you know, money did not just grow on trees, or so my parents always told me. Apparently, they were right, because I have been looking in my backyard, and I have yet to find that particular tree. But I would, I would go through, and, and, you know, I was kind of weird, so I would look at the pig's, pickled pig's feet. Yeah, I know. It just you know. Then they also had these pickled sausages all all up on the counter. It was these pickled, pickled, pickled. But then you had the whole candy aisle, and I knew that I wanted all of it, but I knew I could only choose some of it because I only had a finite, limited amount of cash. The truth is, every time I walked in that store, I had to choose how to spend my money. Because once I spent it, it was gone. But you know, that little teeny principle is actually much larger for us. In that, you have been given breath in your lungs. You've been given a life. We've been given the opportunity to live on this great planet by God himself. But it's limited. There's an end. Now, you and I don't know what that end date is, but right now we're in the dash. We know what the start date was. We don't know what the end date is, but we are in that dash. And the dash is where we choose to spend our life. And so my question to you today that only you can answer is how will you spend your life? That's a ginormous question. And quite frankly, it's a question I'm really asking myself now because I kind of feel like I'm at halftime. I'm either at halftime or I'm just about at halftime. I don't know when I'm going to die, but let's assume I die at 100. I'm 47, so I'm right there at, at halftime, right? And everybody knows that, that a game is really won or lost in the second half. How you start is important, but how you finish is way more important because how you finish is really determined by what you choose to do. So I'm at that halftime. I'm asking myself, how will I spend the rest of my life? Now, I can't do anything about what I've already spent. 
I cannot get refunds and I cannot make exchanges. What I have spent is already done, and that's the same for you. You've already spent a portion of your life. If you're young, you're in a great spot right now because you get to invest more of your life in things that matter. If you're older like me, or even older than me, then you have to look back and you cannot change what you've done. Now to some of us, that might be painful, and some of us, there might be joy in that. But right now, you have breath. Right now, you have life. And right now, I believe God is saying to you, what will you spend the rest of your life on? Now, I'm talking about legacy. I'm not talking about reputation. There's a difference between the two. See, reputation is what people think of you. What do people think about you? And, you know, the reality is we, we can have a reputation that changes. We can have a reputation depending on what crowd we're in. It's always funny when you are around a bunch of religious people because you're either liberal or conservative based on where they are. You ever notice that? You're either liberal, conservative, or you don't believe anything at all. I mean, it's, it's really, really weird. The truth is reputation can change. Reputation is what other people think about you. Legacy, though doesn't change. Legacy is eternal. Legacy is what you leave behind after you're gone. But here's the thing, just as reputation can change, your legacy is completely in your power to make or to write or to leave. So even if your legacy from the past is sour, you can't fix that. You can't change that. The truth is there are some things that we're leaving behind that we've already done that we will never be able to do anything about and it is not a good legacy. There are relationships that we've blown up. There are things that we've done that have left people or or, or things that have happened in certain ways and we just look back and we say, oh, but by the grace of God, right? I mean, we can't change that. But from this point on, we can choose to leave a legacy. And the legacy from this point on is really determined by four things. Over the next couple of weeks, this is what we're going to talk about. How to leave a legacy and what kind of legacy to live. Four things will determine our legacy. Number one, your words. Number two, your deeds. Number three, your wealth. And number four, your love. So your words, your deeds, your wealth, and your love, those four things will determine the legacy that you leave. Those four things will determine my legacy. And if you'll think about it, those four things are really the gift that God has given us to steward for either good things, God things, or things that don't really matter. At the end of the day though, I really think that if Jesus were to ask one question of you and me when we stand before him, after we die, we stand before him, if he were to ask one question, I really think the question he's gonna ask is this. Have you come alone, or have you brought somebody with you? Because that's really what the kingdom of God is all about, isn't it? Knowing God and making him known. Your legacy is really all about, a godly legacy is really all about who will you bring to Jesus? Who will have a relationship with God because of something you said, because of something you did, because of something you spent, or because of something you, or somehow you loved? 
It's really pretty simple, isn't it? Well, it's simple. It's just not easy. In your Bibles in Acts chapter 13, I want to begin by showing you that, that you and I are a part of God's bigger story. We're a part of his bigger plan. But we should not think that our part in God's story is higher than it really is. And we shouldn't think that it's more uh, less significant than it really is. We need to get an accurate picture of where we fit into God's story. But we need to change the scorecard. See, we measure ourselves by what other people do. And that's wrong. I don't measure my faithfulness by your faithfulness. I don't measure my deeds by your deeds. I don't measure my love by your loves. Now that's not to say that I don't see the way you love and say, man, I want to be like that. It's not to say that I don't see your deeds and say, man, I want to be like her. Or I want to be like him. It's not to say that I don't, I don't look at what you do with your wealth and say, man, I aspire to be that generous. No, we spur one another on towards this, but we don't measure ourselves by each other. Here's why. We each have our own race. And God's purpose for you is not God's purpose for me in terms of his specific purpose and where he has us and how he uses us because he doesn't need duplicates. He needs uniqueness. People who are specifically called and specifically set out or sent out for a specific purpose in a specific time and a specific place. And as we're going to see in verse 36, when all things work the way they're supposed to, God is honored not only through your life, but he is honored long after your death. Let's look at this. And so in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 19, excuse me, verse 16, the Bible says that Paul stood up and motioned with his hand to the crowd and said, fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. So here's where he was. He was in the synagogue in a place called Antioch Pisidia or Antioch of Pisidia. He was there in the synagogue and he had just heard the, the uh, scriptures being read, the Old Testament read, and some of the religious leaders sent word back to Paul and said, hey, if you'd like to add anything, if you've, God has given you anything to share with us, why don't you stand up and speak? Now let me tell you, you ever ask a preacher that? Nine times out of ten, you better sit down and hold on. Because every preacher I know is always wanting to say something. It's hard to get us to shut up, really. That's, that's kind of our downfall, maybe. But Paul gets this word, hey, stand up and preach. Now, why is he there in the first place? He's there because if you go to the first of the chapter, in chapter 13, you have Barnabas and you have Paul and you have John and you have some other godly men that are there together in the church and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit set apart Paul and Barnabas for a specific work or for a specific task. In other words... God looked at Paul and Barnabas and for whatever reason, he chose them for a specific path to travel, to be with specific people, to say specific things. And I would say to you that he has that purpose for each one of us. It's just that all of our path may not look glorious and marvelous. It may be that the path that God chooses you to walk is an ordinary pedestrian path. Listen, we do not need to despise the ordinary. Turn to the person next to you and say, Amen. Here's why. Most of us are ordinary. In fact, I would even say all of us are ordinary. Now, there's a possibility that somebody in here is going to go off to do something that people write about and that people uh, talk about uh, 200 years from now in the history books. But most probably, 
The majority of us in this room are going to do like David. We're going to live. We're going to serve the Lord in our own generation. We're going to die. We're going to be buried. And then we're going to be forgotten. But you see, legacy is the part that isn't forgotten. Legacy is what you leave that is God-centered, that is kingdom-minded, that is bigger than you, that endures for generation upon generation upon generation. I don't need you to remember my name, but I better live my life faithful to the gospel so that long after I'm gone and long after I'm forgotten, my life counted for something. Amen? I'm preaching better than y'all are talking. Come on. Help me here. The reality is your life will either give people pain or your life will give people hope. Your life will be counted for loss or your life will be counted for gain. But if, if enough years pass after your death, the only thing that will remain is your legacy. And here's the most incredible part of this. You don't have to do anything spectacular to have a legacy worth living for. All you have to do is be obedient in the next thing. The ordinary. Mary. Mary was ordinary. Not this Mary, the other Mary. You know, Jesus' mother Mary. She was ordinary. What, 13-year-old girl? Just going about her daily life, right? Pledged to be married to Joseph? I mean, she lived in a town called what? Or, or, or her, her Jesus roots are out of what? Nazareth, right? There's nothing specular, nothing spectacular about Nazareth. In fact, it's one of those, it, it's, it's kind of like a place that we would say, oh, you're from there? Wow, do they have a stoplight yet, right? I mean, it, it's the kind of place you'd make fun of and you'd joke about. Mary was just an ordinary young woman and God showed up in her life and said, Mary, I've got a calling on your life. And your calling is to carry the king of kings and give birth to the savior of the world. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? She didn't ask for it. She didn't search it out. She didn't hope for it. All she was doing was living her life and God gave her the intersection in her life where she could choose to be obedient or she could choose to be disobedient. And of course she said... Okay, Lord, I'm your servant. And you say, well, whoa, whoa, that's pretty spectacular. I mean, carrying Jesus to full term and giving birth to him, that's pretty spectacular. None of us are going to give birth to Jesus. No, but what if you give birth to a missionary who brings the gospel to an unreached people group who've never heard the gospel before, and because of your child, an entire nation of people somewhere in the middle of nowhere come to faith in Jesus Christ and he's called them through your child or what if it's not your child what if it's somebody that you just have interaction with not your flesh and blood but somebody that you've encouraged and somebody that you've supported and somebody that you've nurtured to go on to make a difference somewhere on the planet for the kingdom of God you want to know what that is that is your legacy the man who led D.L. Moody to Christ Jesus gets all of the credit after D.L. Moody come in faith in Jesus. When I say all the credit, meaning that's all credited to him as well done, my good and faithful servant. Could you imagine if he had skipped over D.L. Moody? 
Could you imagine if, oh, he's just a child. He's not worth my time. He's not worth my effort. But see, God in his perfect plan uses ordinary people in ordinary circumstances to build or to make his story. All his story is, is a bunch of interactions between God and mankind. And when we do things in obedience, history is our legacy. So Paul is standing up in front of this group of of people in the synagogue and he addresses them, verse 13, chapter 13, he addresses them by saying the God of this people Israel chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt and led them out with uh, out of it with his mighty arm and for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan he gave them the land as an inheritance this all took about 450 years and after this he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet and then he asked for a king and God gave them Saul the son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years so what Paul is doing is he's saying look there's a line there's a story there's a There's a progression of people. Notice what history is made of. History is not made of events. History is made of people. Because events don't happen without people. And so in each one of these things, you've got those who left a godly legacy and you've got those who left an ungodly legacy. And the choice was always their own to make. Matter of fact, a lot of these people, we have no idea who they were. Some of the people in the Bible, they get like one or two verses. They just get a a half-hearted mention. But the reason that they're there is because they have a legacy based on their faithfulness or their unfaithfulness to the Lord. Wouldn't it be a shame to be one of those in the Bible that your legacy is that of unfaithfulness? Wouldn't it be a shame to be the kind of person who, when the Bible is writing the story, and there was Jeff, he was a scum of a man... He had all the opportunity to influence people, but instead he chose to live a life of luxury and selfishness. You know, the truth is, that is what will happen with your life or my life. And it will either be the, pro- the positive, he served the king and he lived for the kingdom, or he served himself, made his own kingdom, and then died and was forgotten. If you continue through this, what you'll find is person after person after person, either faithful or unfaithful. And you've got to realize this sermon is like a condensed version of the whole history. But if you go back in the scripture, you'll find person after men, women, young, old, all of them. Those with, with horrible sins and those with, uh, uh, who, who are righteous. It, but at the end of the day, their end result was exactly the same. And verse 36 tells us what the result is. But let, before we get there, verse 22. After removing Saul, God raised up David as their king and testified about him. Then they found David, the son of Jesse, to be a... Uh, God said that Jesse... Uh, I can't read. God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. You know, if I hear anything from God, that's what I want to hear. How about you? Wouldn't it be awesome for God to say, you know, that's, that's, my, that's, my, that's my boy. He's a man after my own heart. He makes me proud. I love all my kids, but let me tell you, that kid... That kid is uniquely special to me because he loves me. 
because she loves me with all of her heart. I mean, what, what more do we need in life than to love God with all of our heart? You know, as a father, what I want from my kids is I want a relationship with them. I want them to know that I love them with a love that cannot be altered. I mean, as a mom and dad, isn't that the truth? You love them, warts and all. But are you satisfied with the one-way love? No. One-way love, you're not going to change your love from them, but what really will satisfy you is when your child loves you with the same kind of love that you have for them. The Bible says of David, David loved God with all his heart. And God knew that he would carry out his will. So here is what you, and and then it goes on and talks about John. So go to verse 36. This is where I want to land and then then try to unfold a little bit. Then uh, the Bible says in verse 36, For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. I want you to process that for just a moment. For David, he had a name. You have a name. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are not just a blip. You are created in the image of God for a time and a place. And you are living and breathing right now because God has gifted you life. God has gifted you a name. And he's gifted you a purpose for which he wants you to serve. And that purpose is for your own generation. So David had a name, David had a purpose, and David had a people. (laughs) That's funny, I don't ever do that as a sermon, but you could write that down, that might be good. I guess the name should be a P, P, right? Something P, P, P. He had a name, he had a purpose, and he had a people. And a name defined who you, or, or was because of who you were, the name described who you were. The purpose was to be the king. David had no idea when he was a little boy that he was going to be king of, of Israel. David had no idea when he was in the, in the fields that he was going to face Goliath and, and bring honor back to the name of Jesus or to the name of God. He had no idea that he was going to be chased by Saul. He was going to become best friends with Saul's son, son Jonathan. He had no idea that he was going to see a girl named Bathsheba in sin. He had no idea that he was going to give birth to the wisest, or his wife would give birth to the wisest man on the planet. When he was a young man, he had no idea. All he had was a love for God and a willingness to say yes to whatever God said for him to do. He said yes to the next thing. And that's what I'm calling you to do because I believe that's what God is calling us to do. Say yes to the next thing. Not look at how great you can be for God, but look at how God can make himself manifest through our life. And if it's an ordinary, normal, regular life where we're only influencing people who will influence people who will influence people, that's okay. If that is what God has called you to do, do it with all of your heart. But maybe, just maybe, maybe in this room, there are some that God has called to special purposes. Maybe there are some in this room that truly will influence hundreds or thousands or millions. Maybe somebody in this room will create something that will extend the gospel to the farthest edges of the earth. 
Maybe there's someone in this room that has a gift that you don't even know you have a gift for and you're going to be discovered at some point and then that gift is going to be published all throughout the planet. Maybe you have a skill to where you're going to lead an organization that that organization is going to reach people with the gospel. Or maybe you've been given wealth and that wealth is going to be used to fund ministries all across the world. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on But the whole point is this. I can't tell you what God is doing in you or through you. I can only tell you he is doing something in you and through you. And the only thing that will stop it is you. The only thing that will keep you from leaving a legacy of the kingdom of God is if you choose not to. With your words, with your deeds, with your wealth, and with your love. I love what the scripture says here because it says that David served the Lord in his generation or served God's purpose in his generation and then he fell asleep. That's a nice way of saying he croaked. (laughs) Right, he died. Gave up the ghost. Breathed his last. After he died, he was buried with his ancestors and then it goes one step further. And then he rotted. That's what decayed means. Can you imagine the, the, the grim reality of that? It doesn't matter how much juice they put in you after you're dead. You're going to rot. Whew, aren't you glad you came to church today, right? Why is that? It's because your life is but a vapor. And when you're gone, the only thing that lasts is your legacy. But here's the most awesome part of that. You have life now. You have been gifted with so much. You go, I'm not gifted with a lot. I don't live in a mansion, but I bet your house could have love in it. I don't have a lot of influence, no, but I bet you've got some people in your life that you have great influence over. I don't have all kinds of friends, no, but I'll bet that there are some friends that you have that your influence over them is far beyond you can imagine. I don't have a job that brings me a lot of money, no, but you don't really need a lot of money to do kingdom work. Because maybe your role is not the money part, maybe your role is the motivating part, or maybe your role is the doing part, or maybe your role is the enrolling part, and maybe somebody else's role is the funding part. Well, that was interesting. Any idea what that was? Part of, the Part of the funding. I hope it wasn't my iPad. Oh, okay. Does this make sense? Is, is this getting through? Listen, here's what I want to say to you. The choice is yours and the choice is now because you don't have time to wait. You don't have time to wait. I want to tell you so much today that I'm not going to tell you. Simply because the only thing that I'm interested today in is you choosing, making the conscious decision to leave a legacy for the kingdom of God. The how, it's going to work out. 
Matter of fact, you don't have to go looking for the how. The how is going to come to you. Because when you say yes to God, God says, okay, now we begin. Don't be surprised, though, if the how begins by going backwards. Can anybody testify to that? Sometimes God's got to deprogram some of our stuff before he can get us back on the right track, right? That's an oh me part. Sometimes God's got to fix some things that we got wrong. Sometimes he's got to shape our, our thoughts or our, our loves or our passions. But once he has us where we can, we can truly move in the way that he's called us to move, we can serve the Lord faithfully for his purposes in our own generation. Then we can die and then we can be buried and then we can decay and yet our legacy will live on forever and ever and ever. Because one day I hope to be standing in the fe- by the feet of Jesus. And I hope that I'm so mesmerized by his beauty and his glory. That I, I don't want to look anywhere else. But I really hope that he says, Jeff, I want you to turn around. But I don't want to turn around. I just want to look at you. No, no, I want you to turn around. But I just want to look at your face. No, I want you to turn around for just a moment. And I hope when I turn around, I'll see a line of people who are in the kingdom of God because of my faithfulness. That is my goal. That is your goal, I pray. There is nothing selfish or too ambitious about that. Why? Because we were made for such a time as this. That's why God gave you breath. That's why he invited you into his family. And you might be saying, yeah, but look at my life. It's a mess. Well, congratulations. The messier you are, the more beautiful God's grace is in you. You are a trophy of his grace when your life is an absolute wreck because he does his best best work with broken pieces. That's our God. Getting kind of excited here. So let me just tell you a story and then I'm going to close up. So this week I spent some time with with a guy who, his story is amazing. His name is Wes Stafford. He he was the president of Compassion International for about 20 years. He's worked with them for about 45 now. Just by show of hands, how many of you sponsor or have sponsored a kid from Compassion International? Let me see. Awesome. So awesome. Well, guess what? Not too long from now, every one of us can raise our hand. I'm sold on this thing. So here's a little bit of Wes's story. His parents were missionary parents in the Ivory Coast or on the Ivory Coast in Africa. It is a dry, desolate desert. So as a baby, his family moved to Africa so that they could share the gospel with people who've never heard the name of Jesus. He lived in the midst of the African people. He would tell you he was the only white kid for a hundred miles, him and his sister. He ate what they ate. He played how they played. He did all that, he, that, that his life with them. But there was a common thread in his life that kept just ripping his heart out. You see, in those days... Poverty was leading to death. Because when you are poor, you don't have a way to buy food. You don't have a way to buy shelter. You don't have a way to buy clothing. You don't have a way to buy medicine. Ultimately, it robs you of your dignity and your hope, and you often die. And he lived among these African people. 
It's kind of funny. His job when they would go farther into the desert to find different tribes of Africans, his job was while his father was preaching, he would sit on the front row with a slingshot and he would shoot baboons out of the trees and from the distance so that they wouldn't come and disrupt the sermon. How's that for a missionary job? I want that one, right? I know a couple people. I'm an exterminator. I mean, that's, I'm a baboon. I'm a baboon bouncer. <laughs> that's what I am. I'm going to keep the monkeys from disrupting the gospel. That was his job. So at seven years old, he was slinging rocks with his sling. Because it, it was a thing here. But also at seven years old, he noticed a pattern that all of his buddies were dying. They were starving to death. He said one year, they came out of their, their places where they were living and the sky in the distance was black. It was locust. He said the locust came in and ate every single thing in their village that was green in two hours, leaving them with nothing. He said for the rest of the year until the next harvest, they ate bugs as food. He said one particular uh, thing that was killing them was malaria. He himself, even though he was taking the quinine pills every single day, had malaria two or three times a year. He said malaria had come through one time so bad that they laid all of the children of the village out in mats and they brought in a nurse from another town to come in and take care of them. And so every couple of hours she would go through and she would put medicine in their mouth to try to get them over the malaria that particular time, all the kids survived except for one, his best friend. He said they were given, being given the medicine, and so people were wondering, how did this one boy die? That night while they were around the fire, they had to bury the children the day that they died because with the heat, there was no way that they could keep them to the next day. So imagine this. You bury your child, then you go and you sit with the village as they talk about his life. This was a daily occurrence. He said as they were sitting around the campfire talking, somebody asked, how did he die? How come everybody else was okay and he died? One little kid said, I know. He said when the nurse came by, he would put the pill in his mouth but not swallow it. He would take it out and give it to the boy next to him. He went to his father, Wes did. He said, Daddy, when is it my turn? Your turn to what? When is it my turn to die? Like all my buddies. He said, why can't we just give it to all of them? He said, son, we just don't have the funds to do it. The rest of his life was spent trying to get the funds to the children in those positions so that they would not have to die. I tell you that story as a, uh, as a way of saying that this missionary kid in Africa, God planted inside of his heart a brokenness for a need that has consumed the world. This, to this day, Compassion International has served 2.2 million children. You say, wow, that's amazing, until you know that there's 400 million. 
And yet, a $4 cup of coffee, a new pair of shoes, dinner and a movie, we think nothing of it. When I stand before God, I pray my pockets will be empty. God help me. If I unload my pockets of all that He had blessed me with, my words, my deeds, my wealth, and my love, and I say, well, I was just saving it just in case. The time is now to give your life wholly to the gospel. However that looks in your life, that's between you and God. But I know for us, we got to start doing more. One final story. A rich man came said to a pastor, Pastor, I've, I've gotten an inheritance and I want to give a portion of it to kingdom work. It's $5 million. It's a true story. What I want to know, Pastor, is should I give the money to a, an endowment and let them dole it out for the next 50 or 60 years? Or should I just give it all? And the pastor's answer was brilliant. He said, the answer to that question is determined by when you think Jesus is coming back. If you believe he's not coming back for a hundred years, keep it going for that long. But if you believe that today could be the day or tomorrow could be the day or this week could be the week or this year, then you better not be found with money in your pocket. Now that'll, that'll light your world right there. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? This message is about one thing. It's about your, the condition of your heart. And then for me, it's the condition of my heart. Will you choose to spend your life on things that matter. I'm not asking you to know what to do. I'm asking you to be willing to do. And let God show you your next step. Father in heaven, I do pray. Uh, Lord, with all of my heart, that you would create in us such a tenderness towards people, towards children, towards the broken, the rejected. Father, would you give us a heart for the gospel like we've never had before? Lord, even those of us who have, who have loved you all of our lives, would you deepen that love and call us to a greater commitment to you that we would hold nothing back. 
Father, my prayer this day is that you would truly do in us as your church something wonderful and something marvelous. And Lord, we don't need any credit for it. We don't need conferences where we speak. We don't need news articles. Father, we just need you to say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Take a moment, if you will, and just spend some time in God's presence. Ask Him what it is that you need to take hold of and ask Him what it is you need to let go of. How do you need to adjust your life so that it is spent for God's kingdom? This morning, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that our sin condemns us. Your sin condemns you and separates you from God if it's left unatoned for. But the Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith, not of your works. For whoever will come to Jesus and turn to Him. Jesus will save you. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's a gift of God. It's eternal life. So would you do that now? If you're watching by way of TV or by Facebook or on YouTube or whatever, would you trust Jesus? Spend your life for Him?